we have to back up and ask the big paradigm. Do I believe God has given me enough time to be who he has made me to be and to do what he has given me to do? If I don't believe that, then everything else is not going to line up. So, of course, that sinking into that further can lead to a kind of health, which then, of course, leads to a better community. Right? We don't control others. We don't control circumstance. But God has given us within the spirit that allows us to control ourselves, which means I get to decide. I'm going to respond to God, how I'm going to love others, how I'm going to take care of myself so I can keep doing that. And of course, the health of each individual becomes the health of the community, right? We're able to hold space for one another, listen well, actually listen, <laughs> which means then I can actually care in ways that are probably more specific to what's going on. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Communitas podcast. We are just so excited today to have um, some new voices that some of you may not have heard in the past and some of you may have. Um, we are talking to Alan and Jem Fadling, and they were recommended to us actually by Brenda Renderos uh, on our board and um, so excited to speak with them today. They are experts in coaching and soul care Um all kinds of things that we'll get into here, but I uh, want to thank you guys and Joy for being along with us today as we uh, uh, have a nice chance to talk with Alan and Jem. So thanks guys for being with us. Yeah, we're glad to join you. Very good. Thank you so much. Um, why don't we start by having you give us just a little summary of maybe some of your, your history and mm. where you find yourselves today and uh, how you're serving um, the kingdom. Yeah. Jim, you want to start? Why, I certainly. So, yeah, our, our nonprofit organization is called Unhurried Living, and we really train and coach Christian leaders at the intersection of spiritual leadership and soul care, hmm. because it's our deep conviction that those go hand in hand and are not two separate entities, that good leadership flows from within somehow. And I would, I would dare say that there aren't very many leaders who would actually argue with that. The hard part is, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that work in our real everyday lives? And so we love to have that conversation in very practical ways. Um, and so that's what a lot of our work is. And we do all the kinds of things that organizations do. We encourage people via email. We have a couple of podcasts. We write books. We speak we have coaching groups and we meet with individuals. So it's a big list of things um, that <laughs> I trust me, we're not overdoing it. It sounds like a long list, but we're doing it in, in a sustainable way that does work for us. Um, but it's our joy Good. Uh, to encourage people to have conversations like this, to really be in the trenches with people about what does it mean to really, um, I guess John 15 is our centerpiece scripture, you know, abiding. Yeah. What does abiding look like? And then how does that abiding relationship become what Jesus calls fruit that lasts? That's where we mm. like to talk with people. Alan, what would you add to that? Well, I think that's a good summary. Um, maybe what I could do is just say, you know, what in the world do we mean by unhurried? You know, yes. especially when you're talking to leaders, you know, some leaders hear that and they think you must not get much done 
I mean, are you just like living your life mostly on a recliner watching ESPN? Yeah. Um, but when I talk about unhurried, what I mean, and I think what what we both mean is unhurried means you have time for everything that matters. Mm-hmm. Hurry has a way of filling your schedule often with urgent things that are not may not be important things. So in my first book, An Unhurried Life, I talked about Jesus as an unhurried savior. Jesus is unhurried in the best sense of that word. He has mm-hmm. time, no matter how big the crowds get, to withdraw to lonely places to pray. He has time to stop for the person on the side of the road, even though they have a clear agenda and a destination that they're heading for. He has time for everything the Father has invited him to do. And so in three and a half years, I would argue he's borne more fruit than I have in 40 years of ministry. So I think um, unhurried is a culturally counterintuitive idea, but there's a way of slowing down and being more. There's a way of slowing down and sinking roots in. And so much of fruitfulness is indirect uh, as opposed to direct. It's what is the outcome of my walking with God and my being rooted in God and my collaborating with God in the work of my life. So that's a little bit about our message and our focus. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I, I'm curious, what are, not to get into deep statistics necessarily, but this is such an important issue for leaders in the church. Um, we hear about and have witnessed ourselves um, yeah. stories of burnout. and. Yes. And so I guess the first question is, how, how do you approach that with somebody? But more importantly, um, statistics-wise, I mean, how often are you seeing that? And and how do you make an impact before it's too late? You know, it's the desperate call that comes in. That, yes. Uh, as opposed to the, you know, being proactive instead of reactive. Well, um, we like to think of ourselves as... Um, we're not really the emergency room. Uh, we're 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 more like the doc who's trying to help you be well. You know, yeah. We're like the physical therapist. Uh, we're like the uh, you know the wellness doctor you, who you go to 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 be healthier, not just to fix your sicknesses. Right. And so we think unhurried living uh, is a is we would go one step further than sustainable. We would say we we think you, we were meant to thrive. We think we were meant to live and lead from abundance, not just from my nose is thankfully above water all the time. Um, and so that's very much in the spirit of 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 the work that we do. We're and and like you've said, I don't know in 40 years of ministry if I've ever seen two or three years when it's been harder to be a Christian leader, especially in the church. I've never seen more burnout than I'm seeing now. Hmm. I have never seen more early retirements than I'm seeing now. Hmm. I've ne- I've never seen more emergency sabbaticals yeah. than I am seeing now. In the last two years, especially. Um, and so what we would argue is there is a kind of soul care that would be preventative. So that instead of an emergency sabbatical, you could take a strategic sabbatical. You could just take a break to rest in God, to let, you know, let who you are sort of sink into God a little more deeply so that you could come back even more fruitful. One of our own rhythms uh, the last now three years is we take July as a mini sabbatical. 
good. And it's not really in our minds, it's not quite the same as like a vacation. We will do fun things. We will be with fun people, but we will really be intentionally stepping back in the spirit of the Sabbath to not work, uh, to not be engaged in the various roles that we currently hold, to simply enjoy God, to listen well to God, not for our next vocational strategy, but just for our lives. And that's that's part of what we're trying to help uh, leaders understand, that there's a way to live that you could not only sustainably live, but you could find that you thrive living mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. One of the things we encourage our leaders to do, and it's really complicated, right? But it's to uh, allow enough margin in your life that you can be interrupted for what's important. Yeah. Um, yes. In, instead of, and, and again, this is really hard, uh, responding to the tyranny of the urgent, because the urgent's always going to be there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that idea. I'm I'm curious, and, and Jim, from your perspective, how does health in this area impact community, and how does unhealth in this area impact community? Yeah, I think, well, to maybe to lead into that, um, I think, I think what we think or believe about time itself mm. um, is a big part of this conversation. You know, we, we use the word unhurried, right? Um, I also yeah. like the word process. And I think both of those ideas uh, would nurture community. If you don't believe you have time, enough time to do all the things you do or see all the people you need to see or help all the people you need to help. Um, There's a disconnect there because then you're always going to be rushing. And we know, we know from experience, Alan and I both struggle. I can say this because we've said it many times. We both struggle with anxiety for different reasons, Mm -hmm. family of origin and just life itself is hard. Um, And that is a, that's an engine, right? That runs very um, fast and intense And so if I can learn to step back and realize I have enough time, the way we like to say it is I have enough time to do all the things that God has given me to do. Now, if I don't Mm -hmm. believe that, what kind of life am I living? Right? And so I know that might seem like an end run around your question, but I think we have to back up and ask the big paradigm. Do I believe God has given me enough time to be who he has made me to be? and to do what he has given me to do. If I don't believe that, then everything else is not gonna line up. So of course, that sinking into that further can lead to a kind of health, which then of course leads to a better community. What if every one of us, you know, there's the spiritual, um, it's not a spiritual gift, it's a fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit of self-control, right? We don't control others, we don't control circumstance, but God has given us within the spirit that allows us to control ourselves, right? Which means I get to decide how I'm gonna to respond to God, it, it, how I'm going to love others, how I'm going to take care of myself so I can keep doing that. And then of course, the health of each individual becomes the health of the community, right? We're able to hold space for one another, listen well, actually listen. <laughs> which means then I can actually care in ways that are probably more specific to what's going on. So there's, this is a very big conversation. That question you asked, it opens up a whole door. Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> well, maybe what I would um, would add is 
we've often found that community is really a fruit of something else. Hmm. Like community is a fruit of shared communion. You talk yes. about com- communion, community, mission. Yeah. We really see the interplay uh, in interactivity of those invitations. That there is, you know, the as each of us draws near to God in ways that are good for our soul, we find that we're also drawing closer to one another. Uh, we find that we have more grace, more patience, uh, more mercy, more compassion for the differences of the others. And so, so much of what we hope for in community is is not necessarily something we seek first, but it's a fruit of our best seek first, which yes. is the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. Yeah, wow, that's that's great. It, it, you know, we can get caught in that trap of uh, doing for instead of being with. Yes, and and I think, I mean, certainly margin for the withness and gem. You you discussed this really beautifully a moment ago um that that is so important and and yet even for so many leaders in a christian context even see their relationship with god as a checklist that yes. that becomes the doing you know check off the check boxes instead of the the being with and so how do we overcome some of those habits you know the the protestant work ethic whatever we want to call it <laughs> Right. One of the words we like to use often is the word uh, receptive or receptivity and to introduce that back mm-hmm. in. And often when we lead people in retreat or whatever, we're we're giving them, we don't just say, you need to go have a retreat. You need to have time with God. This is what it looks like. We actually lead them in it, talk about it afterwards so that they know. Um, but, but to enter a time, a, whatever you want to call it, a quiet time, a retreat day, solitude, whatever the label you're putting on it. Can we make some space where we put ourselves into receptivity mode, which is hands open, mm-hmm. right? Like that Protestant work ethic is very real because there is an undercurrent of truth. I'm, I'm serving the Lord, right? Yes, that is absolutely true. But somehow there's this grinding that starts to come in and then we burn out, right? What would it be like to come into God's presence with your hands open and your heart open and you and you're going to receive? That's foreign a lot of the times. Yeah, what what would you say about that, Alan? That receptivity idea. Yeah, so so maybe what I would would say is sometimes in our vision of Christian leadership, we're only focused on the activity side and not on the receptivity side. So we measure our leadership by the tasks we accomplish. And so then, as you say, our engaging with scripture or prayer or any other kind of spiritual practice becomes a doing. Mm. So it's just one of the other doings. Well, we think uh, good soul care and and therefore healthy leadership looks like, it looks a lot like breathing. Mm. You know, try breathing where it's only exhale for five minutes. It's not going to work so good, you know. And in that sense, exhale is sort of the activity side. Inhale, that's the receptivity side. And so a lot of what we do as we're coming alongside leaders to, is to help them develop a way of living and leading where the re- receptivity and activity has a back and forth sort of dynamic. Hmm. This was one of the geniuses, I think, of Dallas Willard in his talk about spiritual practices. Yeah. He talked about spiritual practices essentially of engagement and spiritual practices of abstinence. 
often when we think of a spiritual practices, we're mostly focused on the engagement practices. I'm going to study my Bible. I'm going to be of service. I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do. But some of those practices are about not doing. I'm going to be in solitude. I'm not going to be with my normal folks. Yeah. I'm going to be in silence. I'm not going to be speaking and, and engaging at the normal level. I'm going to fast. I'm not going to eat the way I usually eat. All of those are receptivity practices. And so one of the one of the, as I say, I think the geniuses of of what Dallas taught was there's this interplay. I need to learn to open up space. You use the margin language. That's good. The odd thing is when we use margin language, sometimes what we mean is opening up space to then fill with mm. stuff. Yeah. Margin actually means empty space. <laughs> you have to you have to decide. There will be moments in my calendar ahead that are actually empty. That is very counterintuitive for a lot of us in leadership. And yet, as I said, there's a beauty in Luke 5 where verse 15, it's one of those verses that talks about the crowds who keep coming to Jesus. And then verse 16 is the one that says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. What we're saying is that might be a great facet of your own discipleship to Jesus. That's good. That's really good. Obvious that you guys are living this life. I'm impressed with how you're not just talking the talk, but you're walking the walk. Is there a story to how you came to these principles? Because I imagine listeners are wondering, how can I do this? This sounds really hard, like a big transition. And I'm curious if you have some insight onto how that happened in your lives personally, so others could hear that model. Yeah. Yeah, it's been well, a long, long journey. Did you want to start? No, you should you should start the story, Jim. I, I'm as you ask that question, Joy, thank you for that because it's very practical. And um it's hard to figure out how to share the story without sharing the whole story because there's so many factors. Of course, mm-hmm. any of us who are asked a question like that, how did you end up where you are? Especially when you're our age, there's decades. Um, there's a lot of factors to what God has um, done in us and through us, what God has allowed in our life, how we've been formed and shaped. Um, But I would say, at least I can start at the beginning. There was a turning point for us. We were in our late 20s. I was 26. Ellen was 29. And um, just by God's grace, we met these mentors, four gentlemen who really became um, important turning point people for us. And I don't know how this happened, but for whatever reason, because Alan and I are different in every single way. Like on Myers-Briggs, we don't have one letter in common. I mean, it's, you know, temperamentally completely different people. And yet, yes, spiritually, we've always been in sync. Which, again, we count that as a grace of God and a gift because we couldn't, we can't plan that. So, um, but in our late twenties, we were both hitting this sort of spot of, is this all there is? You know, we've been Christians for long enough to be into the church way. And just, I don't know, you know, you hit those spots at various times in your life where there, your heart is crying for something more. And at just at that right moment, these mentors came into our lives and that's, they're the ones who introduced us to John 15. Mm -hmm. They introduced us to what we would call now the practice of solitude and silence. And so um, I give full credit to that practice and how I met with God in that practice of pulling back. At first, it was it was one 
hour a month. That's not a lot of time. Yeah. But I'm telling you, one hour a month for me at that age and stage of my life made a huge difference because I did, as best as I could understand at the time, offer myself to God in a way I never had before, which was in a listening, being posture. Mm. And I really, for me personally, Alan probably has another version of the story, but that created something inside of me. And it is a place that... um I hope this doesn't sound too esoteric, but you know that place inside of yourself where you connect with God, right? Whatever you call that, <laughs> that yeah. aspect of myself was awakened in a new way. I feel like that aspect of myself, my soul has been enlarging over the course of time because of learning that posture. And then o- over the course of decades, then of course, um, that grows and and. Uh, permeates in a new way and changes and evolves as I become an older, hopefully mature woman, hopefully. (laughs) Um, So I would say that's at least a start to the answer of your question. That's where it began for me. And then that space inside of me now has buoyed me all throughout. So I know Alan probably has another thing to add to that because we both live that season together, of course. Yeah. So I would say another facet of that story in our 20s was I was in my late 20s, full-time student at Fuller Seminary, full-time pastor in a large Southern California church, newly married and burning out. Um, That's not great pacing if you're burning out in your late 20s. And I had a crisis of ministry. I literally, this preceded our meeting these mentors. I had a crisis of ministry, which is I can't do this this way another few months, let Mm -hmm. alone another few decades. Right. And- so I was ready. There's something about a little bit of suffering that will get you ready for something God wants to say to you. So in some ways, to just take a step back, this intensive season we're in, where so many are tired, where so many are burning out, where so, this is an opportunity. This is the red light on your dashboard. This is a chance yeah. to say, I think I need something different than what I've been doing so far. And we would argue soul care is more important. It's always been important, but it may never have been more important than it is right now. Well, that's what we learned in our 20s. And so we began to set aside time. Our, our, our intent for the last 30 some years has been to have a day a month where we step away from the normal patterns and commitments of, of ministry to just be in the presence of God. It's not a step away for strategic planning. It's not a business meeting. It's I need to be with God. I imagine when Jesus withdrew lonely places to pray that the main thing he did was pray. Hmm. Just be with God. One of our mentors defined prayer as prayer is not a thing you do. Uh, Prayer is someone you're with. And learning to be with God in that way, in a monthly way, enriched our sense of being with God in a daily way and then in a moment-to-moment way. Hmm. So... Uh, all that to say that personal need was pretty important in this coming together. And then being able to practice a kind of long obedience in the same direction has been a just a remarkable gift. The other day I found myself saying to a leader I was talking with, and I just I felt in the depths of my soul, abiding works. Mm-hmm. It really, really works. If, and it's not a quick fix. It's not a transaction. It's a way of living over time. 
you become the kind of person who's learning to live rooted in God, who's learning to be the branch connected to the vine, you will be fruitful beyond your imaginings. And that fruit will matter and that fruit will last. Yeah. Can I say something else to Joy about that too? As you were sharing that, Helen, I realized, um, I mean, there's a very simple example not the first person to use this as an example, but um, I've had to take taking care of my physical body very seriously as I'm aging. There are things that are coming up and I no longer have a choice to ignore signals. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm very proactive right now taking care of my physical health. So that has meant this year I'm on a stationary bike three days a week at least. And then in between I'm doing weights and I'm only doing eight pound weights. Okay, it's not like big, but it's the, st- the strategic movements and all that. Okay, so that doesn't seem like much. I got a stationary bike. I sit in my living room. I pedal. Right. I start at level one. There's ten levels on this bike. In January, I I literally started at level one. So this goes to answer how am I going to get this stuff in my life? Right. First thing was I got a. This was the cheapest bike on Amazon. It was like 130 bucks. I started on level one, and you know, and anyone who's a real athlete would go, "What are you doing?" Well, I have to start where I am. I think that's, so that's good counsel. Start where you are. So I started at level one. Well, now it's June and I'm on level seven. Okay. You see what I'm saying? You start where you are. And when, when I was ready, when I could tell that my legs weren't struggling anymore at one and two, then I moved to two and three, because I'll start on the one number and move to the next number halfway through to push myself. Now I'm doing six and seven, and I'm probably getting ready fairly soon to go seven slash eight. Same thing with my weights. I've been lifting these eight pound weights thinking, what could this possibly do? But when I'm getting in and up out of a chair or if I'm lifting the groceries out of my car or we babysat our son's dog last week and he weighs 15 pounds, which isn't a lot. But when we would babysit him a year ago, I'd be like, oh my goodness, this, but now I just picked him up with one arm. So I know you guys know what I mean. But again, this is about that paradigm about time itself. Can I, can I shift my belief in that if I start where I actually am, what wherever that is, and believe that I have enough time for God to build into me what he wants to build into me, and I start with small decisions six months from now or a year from now, there will be fruit. I just told you about the fruit. I'm now doing seven instead of one, and I can pick up a 15-pound dog with one arm. That was mm-hmm. six months. The same thing can happen in your soul. Yeah, message is huge it's just so vital what you're sharing and i mean it's it's asking do we really believe that we only can give out of what we've received we say that but truly mm-hmm. what else do we have that that mm-hmm. that is the nugget that is isn't that alan the centerpiece of what we talk about you you must give that which you have yeah. And in order to have... And where will you get that? Yeah, where do you get what you have? Yeah. Bernard of Clairvaux, you know, uh, uh, an abbot from many, many centuries ago had a metaphor. He said, uh, we need to lead more like um, reservoirs than yeah. like canals. Yeah. You know, the reservoir gives without loss to itself. That's his language. The canal is just a pass-through. Too many of us live our lives in leadership like a canal. We get it, we give it. We get it, we give it. We get it, we give it. And therefore, we are empty. We feel like our cup is mostly empty. The reservoir fills, and then it gives just as much, but not at cost to itself. Hmm. 
We think good soul care is leading from overflow instead of giving everything we've got and, and finding ourselves empty. I think Jesus served from fullness. I think that's one of the reasons he withdrew to lonely places to pray so often. He knew how to speak from fullness. He knew how to serve from fullness. He he knew how to do the work the Father had given him from fullness. That is, and that's what he invited us to. I've come that they might have life, and not just any old kind of life, but an abundant one. Um, I think the best leadership grows out of fullness. Yeah. I'm I, Wow, this is so, so helpful. Thank you. Um, I'm curious. I mean, sometimes we... Sometimes we have to reset because we're forced into it and we're burned out and it's the emergency room, right? Um, sometimes we're reset by things totally out of our control. COVID as an example. Yeah. And Alan, I, I know, I, I think it was your book, uh, A Year of Slowing Down. What, was that in response to COVID or were you working on that prior to? And I'm wondering how COVID kind of shaped some of that perhaps. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair question. I, I wouldn't say specifically that it it grew out of or grew as a response to COVID. Um, in many ways, it was a book that that incorporated a couple of little books I had written before, and then mm -hmm. University put them into a larger project. The vision of that book was to create a formational experience in what we're talking about. So it's one thing to read, you know, an unhurried life or an unhurried leader, you know, 10, 11, whatever chapters. It's very easy to read a book and boy, those were great ideas. Okay, what's the next book I'm going to read? <laughs> yes. Uh, the the opportunity of a devotional is it's something you live with for a year. Yeah. And so that was that was like the closure of the trilogy. Uh, I, I really wanted to write something more daily in its design mm. than the other two books. And, you know, so that was the uh, that was the thinking behind getting that book uh, together. Yeah. I, I'm curious for both of you, um, how have you seen culture respond? I mean, was was COVID a, a good reset or did it hurt us in the essence that, you know, so many of us now think that it's completely over. And so let's just fill life back up even fuller than it may have been before. And that's not going to help us at all. No. Yeah, I think COVID well, exposed. I think it, what it did was it exposed some things. Right, because it was kind yeah. of a stripping or a pruning. It was because it was very unique and very um, intense. Yeah, you know. So uh, yeah. I think the answer for that is as different as as each one of us. What was exposed, right? right? And then what? And then if you're brave enough and self aware enough to take a look at that, that is that would be a beautiful place to take some next steps in your own journey with God. What was brought up for you in during that squeezing? And um, allow yourself to to continue to journey that. I think I think Alan would agree with me on this one. I mean, this is where the intensity is really going to be because we are in the aftermath. I mean, they might say it's lifted. It was formally lifted in May, but that's just the physical lockdown. No, don't wear a mask. That's we're not talking about it as much. But now, what we're left with afterward is the spiritual, emotional, relational, psychological even physical. I mean, all the aspects, there's an aftermath and I don't, and I'm not a doomsdayer. I'm a, you can see, I got the word and right here behind me. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm an optimist. And yet 
I know that we are in the aftermath and I don't, I don't know that it's going to clear up fast because again, lots of things were exposed and not everybody knows what to do with that. And so we're kind of, you know, splashing on each other. I, I would add to that. I think COVID amplified things yeah. and it accelerated yeah. things. Mm. Uh, we we had friends here where we're at in Southern California, where when the quarantine hit in March of 2020, they 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 couldn't do all the things that filled their calendars. Right. And for some of them, that was crazy making. And for some of them, it was a taste of, oh, I kind of like this. <laughs> Um, I have time to just be with my children. Yeah. Um, I'm not carting them to 17 things every week uh, like I used to do. The, the question always was, well, when you can't do those things, that's one thing. Uh, when you can again, now you're going to have to decide what do you want to do? Yeah. You know, are you going to just let the old patterns become uh, return to being default? You can do that. Of course you can. And there's goodness about all those great things the kids are doing. But you might decide that there was some goodness you discovered in the unexpected opportunity that COVID provided. I mean, we have friends who lost their lives, so I'm not trying to make some rosy picture about sure. uh, COVID. But but it was a situation that could be seen as an invitation. For us, you know, and when COVID hit, we we had to radically pivot in terms of what we were then doing. Most yep. of us did. One of the things we did when we, we we realized how much new work this was going to be and how challenging it was going to be is we doubled down on some of our disciplines of receptivity. Um, it was tempting to put those on the back burner because we're in emergency mode. But we felt it was even more critical to step back, to be in the presence of God, to listen well, to be able to have the wisdom, to, to be able to have the creativity to respond to this challenge that we were faced with. Um, I have never once regretted that. Some of the creative ideas that came, some of the new strategies that arose, those arose as gifts in solitude, not as uh, ideated strategies you know, in front of a whiteboard. Uh, we do that too. But so much of what we desperately need to lead well comes as a gift, not as a thing you you earn or solve or achieve. And that's been a really important insight for us. Wow. I'm, I'm curious, just looking at some of the things that you guys are engaged in. Um, first, a, a cultural question, and then a practical question about some of the retreat opportunities. I think you have one coming up in Italy at, at one point. So would love to hear a little bit about that. Um, thinking about next generation leaders mm -hmm. and, you know, I've got, I've got two, uh, two daughters that are mid twenties and it strikes me with all of that generation, how incredibly self-aware they are compared to when I, when I was that age. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, there are so many other distractions right now from social media to screen time to whatever you want to put in there. What are you seeing as some of the, the challenges to next generation leaders as, as they move into their, this stage of their lives? Well, I think you know, our, our uh, three sons are mid-20s to oldest is just turned 30. And yes, I would agree. I'm seeing 
much more receptivity to some of the, what we're talking about uh, in the form of self-awareness of realization. You know, all three of our sons have opted to pursue some therapy on mm-hmm. their own initiative. We didn't tell them they needed to do that. Yeah. Uh, they knew they needed to do that. <laughs> um, I would also say that uh, at least our experience is that many younger leaders are more open to what we're talking about than some of the fellow boomers. Yes. I'm, a young, I'm a young boomer. Um, and, uh, so I'm encouraged by that. Um, but right alongside that, I agree with you. There is a great challenge. It's, it's even more difficult to obey commands like be still when you've got so much stimulation. Yeah. When the lifting of the phone to the face has become a spiritual practice. Mm. Um, you know, these devices are training us uh, without our really even realizing it. And we might decide that's not good for us, that maybe we would rather keep those phones as servants rather than as tyrannical masters. Wow. Um, so that's been a place of recovery, uh, continued recovery for me. I, I love technology. I I grew up in the 70s where we were building computers in math class, you know. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It was, I love all that stuff. And so it's very tempting to let that just fill my uh, my thinking, but I I need space where I'm not checking uh, what somebody liked uh, that I posted, where I'm not uh, comparing my identity with somebody else's identity. Yeah, this is where those disciplines of disengagement become so absolutely critical. Wow, that's that. Yeah, that's good. Jen? Yeah, I think um, even just in the last month or so, we've had a chance to sit with a couple of sets of young leaders, and like in their thirties, young, like 30, 32, mm-hmm. mid thirties. Um, there was a, a small group of um, young pastors that we sat with at, at a lunch a couple weeks ago, and believe it or not, they wanted to listen to these old fogies, you know, talk about whatever they thought about stuff. They just wanted questions. It was a fun little mentor moment, but. Um, one of the, and then yesterday, was it yesterday? A couple of days ago, I was on a Zoom with a couple of young women who are uh, on a staff at a local church. And um, I think they are all seeing this um, Christian work, Protestant work ethic that you spoke of, how it's gone awry. And they're mm-hmm. already taking notes on that and saying, they can see it. They can say, that look, people are tired. I'm tired. How can we not keep doing that? So it's been encouraging to me to have real life young leaders asking those questions. They want to start now living a different way so that they can, because Alan and I will say this and we'll say it with complete honesty at this point. I'm not quite in my 60s. Alan is. I'm almost there. (laughs) But we can say at our 60s, right, we have never felt more vibrant in our work and we've never had kind of along with that as much fun as we're having doing what we're doing. Because all we're doing is what mm-hmm. God called us to do in our 20s, which was um, you'll encourage leaders and you will share your lives. And that is exactly what we're doing in a in the season of life we're in now, which has, has felt the most rich. Now, when you say that to a young leader, they will say to you, I never hear that. I never hear that. How does that happen? And so now, and then you're on a conversation that's just so thrilling to have because now you can share what someone shared with with us when we were that age. And we're just passing on the same message we received that has sustained us the whole time. Abide. 
What does it look like to abide in your life? How does that inform your leadership? And if you can say that to a 30-year-old and have them believe you, it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, and what, changes, what changes their entire trajectory. Yeah. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just such a radical shift. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And what a great gift it, to have received and to pass yeah. on. You know, that's that's kind of what it's all about mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right? I think so. So um, we will certainly make links uh, in our our, st- our uh, end notes on this podcast to your website, which is excellent, and the various things you have to offer um, and books and, and so forth. I really do encourage our listeners to um, seek those out. And we don't need to go into great detail on this, but uh, some of the group things that you have to offer, both group coaching, but also physically going away on retreat. What, tell us about those a little bit, those offerings. Yeah, why don't you start, Jim? Yeah, well, there's there's two retreats right now. So we have this one every year. We do it in April. And it's just a yearly, we call it an unheard living retreat. And so mm-hmm. people have some people have made it their yearly <laughs> thing that they do. And it's um, three days, uh, four days, three nights in Malibu, California, which is lovely. But we get to yeah. sort of unpack all the things we've been already saying, but we all and we mentor you in a in a solitude day so that you get the experience of what that's like so that that um, when you go home, you could practice it. Everything we do is interactive. So that happens every April. Um, I'm not sure that that is on the front of our website anymore because it's June. Well, it'll be back there. All that to say the other one that you mentioned, calendar, it'll though. be in the calendar section. Um, but the other thing you did mention, I'll just mention this very briefly is, um, my friend and I are partnering on doing pilgrimages and our first Mm -hmm. one is in September. Now it's already full, but, um, we're taking 15 women to Italy and we're going to stay in monasteries and eat good food. And, um, a pilgrimage is different than a tour, of course, right? Because it's prayerful. It's meant to be slow. You're meant to be on a journey. And so that's the Italy thing you're talking about. We do have another one coming up that Alan and I will both be going to, and that's in May of 2024. Same place back to Italy. We're doing Tuscany. So, yeah, but more practically speaking, I'll say this. Alan and I both lead these things called, well, they're, um, they're communities. They're just membership communities. It's, it's super low cost and you get mentored. Um, there's online resources you can connect with, um, it's a great way to find people like yourself who just want to be on this journey together. And the women that I work with uh, just love the space that we've created. So all that to say, you can, all that's on the website. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Well, Alan and Jem Fadling, it has been just a joy to talk to you. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. So <laughs> I may at some point say, hey, let's let's have another chat. That would be an awful lot of fun for, for us and I think our listeners too. And uh, also really want to encourage anyone listening to check out the resources in the show notes. It will give you links um, to the various offerings that we've talked about here and ways to get in connection um, if you're wanting to engage at all uh, with Alan and Jem. And again, friends, thank you so much for this. And may you continue to uh, thrive in the life that you're living and the life that you are giving to others. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you too, Joy. Yeah, thank you. For all of you listening, this has been another podcast from Communitas International. We can be found on all the major podcast platforms. So do please, if you enjoy this particular podcast, pass it on to friends and feel free to leave us a rating. We would love to hear from you. 
And we will see you again real soon on the next episode of the Communitas Podcast.